the On The Brink podcast. I have a very special guest with me on today. Her name is Annie. She is literally one of my best friends. We've known each other now for, I think we determined it's like seven or so years, which is really crazy because it feels like a long time and not a long time at the same time. I don't know. It's, It's weird to describe, but Annie's one of those people that like I met her and we instantly knew that we were going to be friends. We instantly knew like, oh my gosh, this is someone that like, I think we both felt like it, it just clicked. And I think that's because first of all, we're both redheads. So that, you know, is automatically instant connection right there. And we have a lot in common. I mean, Annie is a violist. I played the viola. I didn't play when I met her, but we bonded over that. We bonded over our love of music um, and just so many other things. And we've stayed really close ever since college. That's where we met. We met at Illinois Wesleyan. I'm really excited to have Annie on today because Annie brings a perspective of someone who is a musician, but has also gone on to get her doctorate at age 25. And I'm totally spoiling her introduction and I'm gonna let her introduce herself in a moment. But I'm just like so proud and excited for Annie and like her career. And I'm just like, I don't know, she went off and did such an amazing thing and is doing amazing things currently. So I'm gonna let her introduce herself before I go on any more tangents here. I'm blushing. <laughs> so flattering. <laughs> Thank you. I am Annie or Dr. Annie. I'm just kidding. But you can call me that if you want. Um, yeah, I live in Chicago, which is the area that Emily grew up in. Although I didn't grow up here. I grew up in Minnesota. She and I connected at Illinois Wesleyan, like she said, that one day on the seventh floor, Ferguson Hall. <laughs> but no um yeah that's true it's true true, yeah but yeah I'm Annie I play viola I'm a musician uh but I also just completed my degree in occupational therapy so I'm a new grad as well yeah yeah Annie literally has her doctorate she's 25 that is so cool I brag about you to other people because I'm like I have doctor friends like I don't know a lot of other people that have their doctorate by age 25. Yeah luckily I know 35 other people who were in my class but (laughs) (laughs) you know some more but but hey you know I I thought it was cool like having a master's degree but then you had to go and like and you were master Emily before I was Dr. Annie so you you have that and being a master is very very cool sure sure i mean it's all cool but like having a doctorate is definitely a step above so <laughs> let's just so compliment I just, each other for 40 minutes that <laughs> hey yeah this will be the new um the new podcast <laughs> layout here we just ha- bring on a guest and compliment them the whole time <laughs> I mean, I I like to be complimentary of my guests because, first of all, most of them are my friends, so I have to, and because I just am proud of everything that my friends do. It's great. I love it. I'm into this. 
<laughs> so I'm excited to, to chat with you about like how you got into OT. I obviously know a lot of your life and like how you got into things, but it'll be cool for, you know, people who don't know and my listeners to find out. You know, we can start out by talking a little bit about our time at Wesleyan and and how, like, first of all, what did you major in? And then when did you decide that you were going to focus on OT and not so much on the music side? Yeah, so I was a major in psychology and I started out my first year as a BA in music major. So I was a BA psychology, BA music. So I was a double major. Um, but part way into that year, I, it's a little silly that I did it. I really wanted piano lessons and the only way I could get them for free was um, from the, the professor that I wanted was to be um, an official piano minor. And the only way to get a piano minor was if I was a bachelor of music in whatever instrument that I was or in music education or something. So a different degree rather than bachelor of arts. So I was like, I'm gonna switch. And my uh, uh, mentor was like, you shouldn't do that. That's a lot of work. <laughs> and I was like, I'm gonna do it anyway. And so I switched for my second year to be a Bachelor of Music in Instrumental Performance, my instrument being viola, and additionally a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology. So I ended up graduating with a double degree. But I kind of knew I, there wasn't any point uh, realizing that I wanted to do OT because I went in knowing that I wanted to do OT. So I yeah, you are one of those lucky people, kind of like me in a sense, like you knew what majors you were going to do and then stuck with it. Yeah, I don't know how it happened because when I started OT school, I realized that I kind of knew almost nothing about OT, but it was somehow the perfect profession for me. And I felt really, really extremely lucky and, and very blessed that it happened that way. Um, but somehow I found it and I was, it just kind of the universe worked out for me, which was really awesome. I know a lot of people that don't have that path. So, so it's cool. Yeah, yeah it's cool too. that you, you had that happen. That's kind of uh, lucky in a sense, but I mean, you obviously like had to work hard to get where you're at now. So it's not like you decided one day I'm going to do OT. And then it was just this easy thing. I mean, obviously it, it was a lot harder yeah, than yeah. you're making it sound. I was lucky in the sense that what I had decided that I wanted to do kind of randomly in high school, going in like an aptitude kind of thing that I was assessing myself um, on, I was lucky that that ended up being the thing that I legitimately did want to do and worked out well. Um, the process of actually getting each of those things done and completed successfully was a bit mm -hmm. more difficult. <laughs> yeah, and you did dual degrees, which really should take five years, yeah? Yes. I, however, was also lucky. I was given the opportunity in high school to do a program where um, in Minnesota they said, or it was something you could apply to kind of like a, a college application as a high school student, junior and senior, or just your senior year to take classes at 
nearby universities who were pairing up with the high schools for this option. They called it post-secondary enrollment options. So I applied, got accepted, and so my senior year of high school, instead of taking high school classes, I took classes at the University of Minnesota. So I was actually able to get two full semesters of um, gen eds done while I was a senior in high school, and that's what made it possible for me to do two degrees in four years. Without that, it would definitely not have worked. I mean, I did overload every semester that I was at Wesleyan, but um, it would have been way too much without that, so I was pretty lucky there, too. Yeah, right. Yeah, I forgot you did that. A good way to get credits out of the way, if yeah. you're able to. Yeah. I mean, I that's really cool. Um, but your music background, you know, you didn't want to give up the viola in college, right? No. Correct. And yeah, so my path was kind of interesting because going, going in, I kind of, music is a love. I've been doing it. I've been taking lessons uh, since I was basically like four years old. It's not something that I wanted to give up and I had worked hard enough to the point where I wanted to continue that education in college and I also felt like I was at the level that I could get some kind of scholarship potentially um, and get accepted into a music program or a music conservatory. Uh, but I wasn't quite at the level um, that I, or just the personality that it was the thing that I wanted to do and I wanted to pursue music that was gonna be my life. I was gonna be a performer. Um, I just somehow wanted to kind of keep both aspects. So I ended up getting a partial scholarship as a viola player which really helped tuition-wise, and then I was able to focus on doing the music thing kind of for fun, not for fun, but, you know, like for me, and then the psychology thing was leading me into the next stage of my education, but the, I'm really grateful for how it worked out, though, because the music aspect at this particular school ended up being almost my entire social cultural experience of college was in the music department in the not department school in the school of music at wesleyan it provided there was a, a as maybe you've talked about in this podcast before a music uh three music fraternities um that kind of provided a social aspect yeah, well, you were president of yours. At the same time that you were president of yours. I know. See, truly, like, twin flames just. We literally were, like, I remember, I have a picture. This just brought up a sparked memory. But, like, I have a picture from a day. We took, like, the same music theory classes, I think, like, our freshman year. And we showed up to class one day wearing the exact same Illinois Wesleyan sweatshirt. And the, like, we had, like, boots. I think we both had like some sort of boots on and I was wearing my glasses that day and I never wore my glasses and like you, you obviously wear glasses and, and we were totally twinning and this was not even the only time that happened. Memories. That is cute. Yeah. Very similar shades of red glasses, same sweatshirt, blue jeans and boots. And it was not on purpose. No, we just showed up and we're like, Oh, 
And that wasn't when we had known each other for all that long. I think that was our first semester of our freshman year. I'm sure we had already done the the initial meeting where we talked for hours one night, but um, I think that we were just kind of connected. Yeah, we like would have things happen all the time where we would like say the same thing at the same time or like, <laughs> didn't that happen a lot? I think so. I feel like I'm, I'm surprised that more people didn't mix us up actually. Did people ever mix us up? I don't think Not really. So. No. Maybe it was because we were very different instruments. I don't know. Yeah, well, like you were instrumental and I was vocal and like, those two worlds are, they have a separation, yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, we we still were, like, close, despite being um, instrumental versus vocal or whatever. Like, I hated yeah. that. that was such a, like, segregated sort of thing. It was stupid. But, you know, it was possible for the instrumentalists to be friends with the vocalists. as Yeah, 100%. As we prove. But, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so we had, yeah, we had great memories in the School of Music, and, like, I, d I did a podcast on the School of Music. I did a podcast with Megan. I've mm -hmm, podcasted yeah. with my friend Nick about, like, just the whole impact of the School of Music, and I think yeah. everyone that I've talked to can really attest to that, and that was a whole drama. By the way, while it I'm is. here, I have to update my listeners that the School of Music was not closed at least not yet. That's correct. Transformed was the, the word that they used, correct? It will be yeah. updated and transformed, but not closed yeah. as of right now. So that's definitely a win um, mm -hmm. for now. Yeah. Right, right. Too, so, too many voices said, hell no. Yeah. As they should. Yeah. I mean, it was going to be a huge loss and... Just, I mean, I'm not going to go into all of this right could, now, but, but we, we literally could do a whole episode. <laughs> yeah, we could um, do that, but I don't think anyone would be too interested in hearing that right now. But, um, but good news to update everyone. But anyway, back to Annie. So <laughs> Annie was like also the person that I, I, I don't want to say like envied, but like was, what? was always like envy is not the right word but I always like like looked up to you like at what like, you were just doing so many things all the time like you were the president of your fraternity I mean so was I but like you did that and then you were in these dual degrees and then you were still like doing all sorts of other things and pro taking on projects and and managing the the music live not the library oh yeah we music. also worked together <laughs> <laughs> we're together, yeah, but you were kind of my, like, manager, sort of. It was <laughs> so very was casual, though. <laughs> yeah, very casual. You were my best employee. Oh, thanks. That's not <laughs> saying much, though. <laughs> no, oh, we could do a whole episode on that. That would, that was a time. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> uh, Annie was always doing a lot, and I'm not surprised that she <laughs> graduated um, and went on to, you know, get her doctorate at this point because she was, you know, so hardworking and so talented and was always, yeah. like, just doing so many things. And, and so, you know, I want to move to, like, your – do you call it grad school? Yeah. For, for your doctorate, your grad school um, program and how you – I don't know if you want to go into this or not, how like you 
almost didn't go. I think it's an important distinction after you've um, done so much work making me sound amazing just now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I can talk about it. it. It was a rough road. I'll say that. I uh, part of it was me taking on too much. Uh, yeah, it's cool. I'm proud that I did two degrees, but I made it really hard on myself to get into graduate school. Um, just in, in in any grad school, master's or doctorate level, uh, you got to be dedicated to the profession that you're going into. They're, it's competitive. They're looking for people who are passionate, dedicated, hardworking, and I like to say that I was those things, but I was doing those things for two very different um, kind of like college paths. And I was spending a lot of time on music, knowing that music wasn't the necessarily the path to occupational therapy. So I, um, for this kind of graduate school, for therapy graduate school, they expect, um, I mean, they expect obviously good grades, uh, good test scores, but they also want you to do a lot of observation hours, and they want you to have these extra things that 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 really make you stand out. And in college, I spent so much time on music that I wasn't necessarily doing as much as I could have, should have, on those extra experiences. And I think that's really what made it hard for me. Um, so so I, well, I don't regret the way that I did it. I think that it could have been done smoother. And whenever I do talk to people who are thinking about going into a therapy field, I, I don't recommend what I did. And I kind of say what I learned from my process. So I applied to about 10 grad schools and it was hard. It was like handling, I think at that point, Kind of my senior year, I was completing two degrees, and for music, that means that you're also prepping for an hour-long recital, um, memorizing music, and also taking difficult classes as a senior. I was also working part-time at a daycare near nearby in town, and I was applying to colleges, and uh, the amount of all-nighters that I pulled was probably unhealthy, uh, most definitely. I applied to 10 schools, and the applications, the essays, it, it's, it's a lot to do. It's definitely a full-time job, and I didn't get into any school that I applied to, so that was a hard time. I, in the most stressful time of your life, trying to graduate I shouldn't say of your life, and this is all relative, of course, but trying to graduate college and doing all these different things, um, and then getting rejection, just like crying at each one and call my dad. I started going to therapy. It was a tough time, um, but I did get waitlisted at two schools. Um, one was being kind of flaky, and I didn't really hear much from them. But the other one was Rush University in Chicago, Illinois. And I remember very specifically, um, I was like, okay, this is one, my one shot uh, so far when I had heard about halfway through, I had heard that I got waitlisted to one school. And I remember sitting and, and reading that you really need to make yourself stand out. You got to call the admissions counselor at the college and, and really tell them, like, what can I do? Where am I on the waitlist? Like, 
tell them that you want to be there. And I did that. And um, I've talked about it with a friend in grad school. And we think that that might have actually helped, although they would never say. She was kind of like, you didn't do anything. You're kind of in the middle of the track. You didn't do anything wrong. I can't really tell you any specific feedback. You just, you did good, but just not good enough. <laughs> I was like, great. <laughs> she was like, I can't really tell you where you are on the wait list. And I was like, okay. And then I just kind of like, when I got those last few letters in, I kind of shook my resolve and I was like, I don't want to move home with my parents. I need to think of a new plan. I can't sit and wallow in this. It's not going to happen this year, but it's going to happen next year. I'm so much better prepared now. I'm going to spend this year. I'm going to do everything that I knew I wasn't able to do and I'm going to do it. I'm going to get to the college that I want to. Um, in my second year, and maybe that's what I should have done in the first place, and in retrospect, a gap year is a wonderful idea. And so I found an apartment with college friends in Chicago, and I found a job as a ABA therapist, which is um, someone who does behavioral therapy with children on the autism spectrum, and I started working. And I things were going fine. I was pretty happy with where I was. I um, already started writing my new essay for the next year's application cycle, and I had already done several, like, observations with other occupational therapists in the area, and then I, one day in, like, the end of August, I was about to go into work, and I saw a missed call on my phone and I was like, I can't get to this till after work. I did work, got back in my car, I listened to the voicemail. It was a woman from Rush University, um, not saying anything specific, but saying like, uh, we would like to talk to you and call us back. Um, and then the, the memories are a little fuzzy, but I don't even think I got a chance to call them back. Um, I like knew in my head, this could only be one thing, but I also didn't believe it at the same time and the next morning I woke up to an email from Rush Fang, congratulations you've been accepted and it was less than a week before their orientation had began that I got off the wait list um, which is pretty wild it's a pretty wild story to kind of sneak in right at the end there and now looking back at that like the fact that I got in so late doesn't make a difference. I got my degree and it's the same degree that everybody else got, even the people who got in first and accepted right away. It's, it's just pretty wild. I feel lucky, but at the same time, I'm glad that it happened that way because I had to, I really had to appreciate it after that. That was a long tangent, but. No, no, you have like such a crazy story. And when I hear that, I think like, well, what if, cause you're not even from Illinois. Like what if you had decided like, I'm just going to move home because I have no other option. Like what if you did not persevere to like stay in Chicago for that time and make it work living in Chicago, a city that you've, you had never lived in. Um, you didn't know people. So you were moving in with friends but like you had to find work, you know, in Chicago, which I'm sure wasn't just like, oh, all of a sudden you have work. Yeah. 
there was an application cycle for that too for sure and I did a bunch of interviews yeah and yeah I remember like talking to you during that whole time and and I think like you know it's just lucky that you were actually living in Chicago at that point and that was the one school yeah waitlisted at yeah it's it's interesting yeah some things I say lucky about but this one I feel like a better word is maybe serendipitous because like it was very in my memory very specifically a decision I made to not move home I was like I cannot handle that I am not graduating college and moving in with my parents no um like bad feelings towards anyone who does do that because it's definitely a valid option it's just I wanted so badly to gain that independence and I wanted so badly to be near people that I knew in college because I had really developed socially and developed as a person in college I was definitely a late bloomer so a lot of my closest almost all of my closest friendships were in college friendships, not high school friendships. So I think I would have been quite lonely and it would not have been good for my mental health to move home. So that was kind of the reasoning behind my decision, but just serendipitous that like the apartment that I had happened to work out was a great commute to the school that I happened to get in, which was the only one that I had been waitlisted on. And it was also funny enough that I wanted to go to um and yeah I wanted to go to Rush of all the 10 schools um and that was the only one that I got into so it's it's wild yeah well I I mean everyone on the podcast and you know um that I really believe in like things happening the way that they're supposed to not like for one specific reason or anything like that but I think things work out a certain way. And for you, I think that seems pretty true with yeah. the story yeah. and um, the way that everything's worked out. So how was your experience at Rush? And then, I mean, we don't have to go into like OT2 specifically if you don't want to, but I mean, how was, you know, those, how were those years of, of school? And then like, how has it been transitioning? Cause you just graduated. Yes. So yeah this is all pretty new yeah um pros and cons to rush it was a experience of a lifetime I've learned more in those three years than I think like I've ever learned in such a concentrated period of time before uh in my conscious brain I'm sure I learned a lot when I was like three but um I, uh, an example of how it was really, really wonderful. I remember, so I got in a week before things started there. And I remember going to orientation, being so nervous, knowing that I was like one of the last, the last person I assumed to get in. A funny note was that I wasn't the last person to get in. Um, There was one other person after me who ended up being like my best friend in program, which I thought was funny. Oh my God. But, um, I just felt so nervous. I felt like I wasn't as qualified to be there, but at the same time, I had this thought in my head of like, clean slate, no one knows. Um, But I remember just really wanting to make a friend and people have already been connecting on a Facebook group and I just got added to it. So everything was new to me. Um, And I got there and I kind of like clicked with this one other girl whose name was also Anna. And I was like, that's my name, but I go by Annie. 
and she was really sweet and we like sat together for everything and then she was just so open-hearted I guess is the best word to describe it which is incidentally how I would describe basically every person in that point. but um that I ended up confessing I was like I was so nervous because I just got in I was waitlisted and then before me saying anything else she just looked at me and she was like no clean slate you were meant to be here you're just as good as all of us and I like almost started bawling but um so that's an example of some of the pros that's basically how it was the three years that I was there. There were 36 people in our class, 35 women and one man. Um, <laughs> that one man became an honorary woman by the end. Um, but yeah, we initiated him. Um, the cohort was amazing. And I think that that's pretty much how it is from what I can tell of my experiences with other people. I, I mean, I think that's kind of the general that's how OT people are in the therapy world. They're just really nice people, but um, I feel particularly lucky. We just had this great group of people. We're so open-minded, uh, ready to work. It was the, the best group work experiences I've had in my life because every person did their share of the work. So it felt like the easiest hey. project in the world. Isn't that wild? Hey. I've never had that happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was pretty crazy. But uh, we were also the first. Occupational therapy has been recently mandated that by a certain year and a few years, uh, everybody needs, every program needs to be a doctorate program. But right now, some of them are doctorate programs and some of them are programs. And the master's programs are in the process of becoming doctorate programs. So Rush was kind of a gamble because it was the first doctorate cohort. So they were just changing over from a master's to a doctorate. Very prestigious master's program, but there's a risk because they weren't accredited yet when I went in. They actually didn't get officially accredited until my last year there, which was kind of like ooh, a little anxious, but very good program and we all have faith that it would happen. However, because we were the first doctorate cohort, a lot of things needed to change it. Uh, it was master's is a two years program, doctorate is a three year program. The school was also switching from, uh, I wanna say from trimesters or something to quarters, uh, or not quarters, yes quarters? No, they were to semesters or trimesters, a uh, fall, a spring, and a summer. Um, so the whole, every, everything was changing, and they were shifting around the, their classes a lot, and so we were kind of a guinea pig cohort. We were giving them a lot of feedback on what we think could have been done better, um, but we had to be really uh, on our toes about that. As a class, we formed like a subcommittee of people who would be liaisons to the professor so that we were being cordial and not offending anybody. We were um, always having conversations and, and trying to give them constructive feedback on how to do things differently for the next cohort. Um, but it did make it hard in a lot of ways because things were bumpy and we felt like they could have been done smoother. So pros and cons, but I felt in the end, a, total amazing experience. Uh, Rush University 
the reason that I wanted to go there was because they offer a lot of clinical, they're like a clinical experience type of program right from the start. They, they put you in the Rush Hospital and they have you getting these shadowing experiences and starting to do a couple little things with clients or patients, um, whereas other programs are maybe more known as research heavy programs and they're really emphasized in the theoretical and um the research aspect but notoriously not as good as those rush students um in their clinicals uh so i just had this leg up on everyone in every fieldwork clinical that i did they were like oh you're a rush student you got this so in my short field works that i was starting out at where they were just two weeks of getting a little experience i was getting the feedback that um I was a really good fieldwork student. I was doing things that uh, a field two, like a later on student would be doing, like, oh, we wouldn't let them do that, but you're ready, go ahead and do it. And it was kind of scary at first, but it was the best way for me to learn a lot hands-on. So I loved Rush. It was a great experience. You graduated in the middle of a pandemic, so that's another thing we could <laughs> we could touch on. Um, if you want to, I'm sure it was, you know, frustrating and difficult. I actually feel pretty lucky of how it happened. Being a doctorate student, I ended my program with a, a capstone research project, and I was kind of in the middle of that, but luckily towards the tail end when the pandemic hit, I was working with an uh, organization in Chicago called Thresholds that works with individuals with serious mental illness, and I was running group programs at one of their residential homes nearby. Um, I had finished, it was the day that I got the last day of my official research data that I needed. I was gonna keep going and run other programs, but I had just gotten the data. And then I think then we were hearing like rumors of the pandemic and things potentially happening. And then I think the next, day literally the next day was uh march 17th or whatever when everything just closed down closed down like mass panic um so i felt pretty lucky for how it ended up i was i wasn't graduated yet but that last month of work or whatever that i was doing could be done online um pretty easily switchable felt pretty bad for the classes under me, particularly as they're continuing to struggle through this and figure it out because this particularly is a profession, a program that you need to do hands-on work. You really need, like I just talked about how the hands-on clinical experience was my favorite part of this learning experience and the people doing it now are seriously disadvantaged. Um, and they, requirements of the national board of occupational therapy you have to get these certain amount of clinical experiences in to graduate and i just don't know what things are going to look like when so many therapists even are furloughed or it's not safe to take on a student right now or something like that so that's pretty crazy i personally was pretty lucky in that sense. It was still wild to graduate during a pandemic, and then I had to study and take my board exam during a pandemic, which was kind of crazy, but we made it work um, past, yay, and 
now I'm entering the job market in one of the worst economic downfalls of our time. Uh, I know it's a bad time to be starting something new and getting into your field. I will say I saw you back in March when I was home for that one week, the actual week I was supposed to be there. Um, and we had scheduled like to hang out for a long time. Like we, we had planned it out, you know, and we didn't think the pandemic was going to be a thing. And we were celebrating St. Patrick's day and like gathering with my family. Yeah. I remember that. And yeah. And Annie came over and this was like, you know, there were murmurings of things happening, and I think they were starting they to, like, limit. down St. Patrick's Day in Chicago, so we knew things were crazy, so. Right, yeah. we knew it was bad, but we're like, we'll still have a small gathering at my just house. Just your family, and then I was lucky enough to be included. Yeah, and he was a um, honorary member for the, for the day, yeah. but yeah, we like got coffee and I remember we were chatting. That was like the last time I was actually like sitting in a cafe. Yeah, me too. Um, which is sad. There was but no one else in the cafe. <laughs> there was no one there. We were super safe because obviously um, there was no way to get an infection besides from ourselves. But yeah, I remember like chatting with you and at that point you had not graduated quite yet mm-hmm. and you didn't know what it was going to look like um you know getting your work done but I remember like you you knew that you were going to be okay because you had gotten in the hours that you needed to which was good um but it's so weird to think like how many things have changed just since that last time that I saw you and then I ended up you know obviously still staying in Chicago all the way and through June 5th and so it was like the first week of June when things were starting to feel a little bit better you know things were starting to reopen like after three whole months um you know things were starting to reopen so we decided we would see each other outside so then we hung out outside but it was like oh my gosh it's been three months so much time had passed you were in in the area the whole time and like i was still in the area and we couldn't see each other pretty pretty wild and things were so different the first time that we saw each other to the second a totally different season it was spring versus summer very much much so totally different time in my life I was graduating and then I was a new grad and crazy just times in the world man I know yeah just so weird to think back on on like the I hate bringing up the pandemic on the podcast but I like cannot avoid it because it has affected anything that I'm going to talk about and so now I'm just kind of embracing it as much as I can and like just incorporating it into the podcast because you know my whole premise of the podcast is talking about our 20s and you know I turned 25 in a few weeks Annie's 25 like we are dead in the middle of our 20s like we are we are in the midst of it and we're living through this pandemic right in the middle of our 20s and it's like I have to talk about it because it it's part of the 20s now. As much as we all hate it, it is the reality. It's funny because it's also 2020. So it's the pandemic of the 20s in our 20s. The tw- Right, right. But this podcast is talking about our 20s in the 2020s. Yes. In the pandemic so in the 20s. I don't know. So many <laughs> but like 
<laughs> we are, you know, I feel like 25 is such an interesting year. I was going to ask you one final question, and this is not okay. about um, your like specific path or anything, but since we're both like, I count myself as 25 now because like I turned 25 in a few weeks. So basically we're both like 25 years old. So halfway through the 20s, since this okay. is a podcast about the 20s, um, what is your take on the 20s? Do you have you do you have like a positive, a negative, or a neutral idea of the 20s thus far? Or um yeah. my 20s or 2020? Oh no, 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 your 20s, not 2020. My 20s. Okay. We're not 20. We're <laughs> <laughs> not talking about 2020 the year because there's nothing to talk about. It sucks. <laughs> My 20s. Okay, what's my take on my 20s? I'd say positive and only getting better. Um, Honestly, despite that the 20s, like the 2020s suck, (laughs) my 20s I feel pretty good about. I feel like each year I come more into my own and grow in like independence and who I actually want to be and I'm finding it really exciting and I've never felt so since graduating um college is crazy man um and since graduating I've despite the pandemic never felt so like myself okay so yeah and I'd say that's like the goal of your 20s isn't it you want to live and experience and like develop yourself into who you want to be it sounds really cheesy but no it's um, true it's true I agree I think like the 20s are the time to kind of like try new things and discover like who you are and like find your own way and stuff and I feel like I'm doing that and that's kind of exciting to me um and it's not necessarily going in the directions that I thought it was or that I would have expected a few years ago and that's not even anything to do with the pandemic um so it's just really interesting to learn those things about myself Mm -hmm. and figure it out and yeah 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 no I I agree I think like the 20s for me too like have been pretty positive and it's not been in the way that I thought like nothing since graduating college or graduating grad school, like nothing has been the way that I would have ever have guessed or pictured it. And that's okay. Cause it's been better than maybe I, I thought. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. And I think like, I don't know, being 25, like it's not like, it's a great age. Cause it's like, we're not that old. We're definitely adults now. We're like, you know, you're living in Chicago on your own, like totally independent, like with a doctorate degree, like amazing. And, you know, I'm living on my own in Massachusetts. Like I have my master's degree. I have my multiple jobs, you know, figuring it out, being totally independent in so many different ways. And it's like, it's cool. It's cool. We're both in like different parts of the country doing our own things. And we're both far from home, respectively. And, you know, I think it's just, I don't know, like living through a pandemic obviously is a challenge in our 20s, but at the same time, I think the 20s, the, like 
like not the 2020s but like being in your 20s like is a challenge anyway yeah it's a challenge but it's so interesting like when I was a kid I thought about my future and it was such an abstract concept I was like by 23 I think that's a good age to uh get married and have my first kid yeah (laughs) no (laughs) um (laughs) and now I am like constantly reminding myself that I have so many young years left and that is been a really exciting part of being in my 20s is like I grow up and I keep learning how I'm not grown up (laughs) yet but in a good way in a way like I'm more and more advanced in my own and my independence and myself but also like you know the more you learn the more you learn what you don't know or what is yet to come um right right whatever comes your way however the universe the world falls into place you just gotta like you definitely embody this you like you do the 110 percent, and like whatever path it switches to however it gets derailed (laughs) um you just continue like putting that effort and it usually after a while comes out somewhat in your favor serendipitous like the way it's supposed to be you know like you said so yeah yeah. I agree I agree that's a great uh note to end on here and I I wanted to kind of like just sum up the 20s a little bit because I always try to tie back like the whole premise of my podcast somehow you know being Um, talking about the 20s but I think it's like especially relevant now like it's been hitting me as I'm about to turn 25 like like wow I'm gonna be halfway through my 20s that is that's weird so soon we'll be 30 (laughs) see we're we're sticking to only talking about the 20s we're not at 30 yet but no nothing against anyone who's listening that's a little bit older no worries 30's not old either don't worry 25 do you ever like meet at 30 like I some of my classes were 30 or 40 and I'm like we aren't are we not the same age because we act we seem the same age it's yeah it's interesting yeah and the older you get you realize like when you're younger at least in my experience like when I was young I thought that like 20 was so old or 30 was so old and then you get closer to that age and you're like oh my god like they're not old at all yeah it's just like weird concept like like duh of course the older you get the more you're like closer to that age you get so you don't think that it's as old but it's like such a mind-blowing concept it's like whoa I know I know it's crazy crazy. but we're still young so it's okay it's okay All right. Well, thank you so much for coming thank on you. to my podcast, so Annie. Oh, it, it's my honor. I'm honored to have you. So this has been great. And for everyone who's listening, thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. And tune in next week for another great episode. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>